Hi, welcome to this episode of Hollywood Breaks. This is episode 45, and Keith and I discuss all the great things happening behind the scenes. This week, we're particularly interested in this box office success of Fast and Furious 9. Is this really the benchmark that we're talking about of the new uh, theatrical release? Or some more matrix that we should be looking at and discussing? We also discuss the idea of the filmmakers need to dialogue with its audience and not be canceled out. So these and other concerns are we're discussing right here on Hollywood Breaks. I'm looking forward to this weekend. I think the the big long holiday weekend is gonna be a good weekend for the for the movies. Especially here's my theory, right? Is that Fourth of July is on Sunday, so people have Monday off and nothing to do. And in most of the United States, well maybe I'm biased, but most of the United States seems very hot. So people need to be inside. So I'm excited for the weekend. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I'm not as bullish on it as you are. You know, so we can talk a little bit about Fast and Furious 9, um, which, you know. Sure. So 70 million is not bad. That's good given the context of we're in and any sort of news where more people are starting to go back to the theater, uh, I think is a great thing. But what I worry about is a lot of, similar to what Richard Rushfield has brought up in a lot of his anklers, that these fundamental issues of the industry in general are just going to get ignored because everyone's just going to be so excited that cinema is back, baby, that they're going to forget that there are there are core issues that still exist. Now, granted, I'm fully willing to admit this is not an apples to apples comparison. So if you go back to the last Fast and Furious, not Hobbs and Shaw, which is sort of the, the interim sort of Fast and Furious presents. It was in that universe, but it wasn't really a Fast and Furious movie per se. That's right. That was like in 2018, I think, or 17 was the last Fast and Furious 8. That opened to like, I think, 97 million. So here we are, three day, 70 million. So granted, I don't have all the details in front of me, but I'm going to be the skeptic. This is also like number nine. You have to know that there's some... Come on, (laughs) You know what I mean? And also, I mean, I tried to take my kids to the movie last week, but there wasn't, there's, there's like, that was the only thing playing maybe. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the big releases aren't even, haven't come out yet. Um, And I think that's, we, I, it's not that I disagree with you. I think there's some some, uh, credit to be given to the fact of like the pandemic, like in a lot of places has showed the weakness of this part of the industry. Yeah. And there are things that we've not been addressing very well. The OTT platforms have taken over as we talk about all the time, the big shift has happened and the habits of the consumer have changed along the way. And we have to know that and address that. Right. But I also don't know what, if we've had any true tests yet, right? We have tenant, um, which we knew, you know, they tried early. That didn't work out. One Woman 1984, which should have just <laughs> taken another year to finish the film instead of doing whatever that release was. Right. Um, and then we have these kind of like warm startups, you know, Fast and Furious number nine. Like, you know, like there are just things of like, sure, I, I know I'm going to get. It sounds kind of funny or kind of fun. Um, but it's also like, you know, I know it's Tim's film, but you know, my bodyguard's wife or whatever it is, like that film too isn't the isn't Maverick and isn't James Bond and it isn't. I mean, I mean, I think Black Widow is going to be probably the first Marvel Universe film that's going to come out the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to reserve like how bad it is. Um, 
but maybe to your point and, and maybe to our listeners' point is, is that we have to know that it there isn't any argument that the viewing habits have changed and the theaters need to do something different. I mean, that's really all I'm trying to say is I don't want this to be coming, become sort of like the loud Hosanna. Everything's back to normal. We're doing great. Everyone, are, people are coming back to the theater, but the core issues still exist. And I think that's what I'm worried is just going to get missed. Um, you're right. It's Fast and Furious 9. It's the ninth you know, version of the series. You know, okay, there's probably going to be some semblance of franchise fatigue at this point. But at the same time, you know, with Vin Diesel coming out to cinema's back, baby, and like you know, all these hallelujah articles in Hollywood Reporter and Deadline, Deadline and Variety, it's like the industry seems to be like, okay, we're 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 getting back to normal, but there's still fundamental issues that have to be addressed that no one, again, is really paying attention to. It's just like, okay, let's just get back to where we were pre-pandemic and then everything will be fine. And completely ignoring the fact that everything wasn't fine pre-pandemic. And as you pointed out, the OTT platforms are something that's going to have to be dealt with. We're going to have to figure out what that release schedule looks like. What does that mean for talent in terms of their deals? Um, And theatrical needs to play a part in all this, obviously. But the experience itself still has to change in some fundamental way if you're going to convince people to, you know, immediately snap back to the way things were pre-pandemic. Now, the evidence is showing that there are a lot of people that want to do that. You know, amusement parks are struggling to, you know, deal with the sudden upshift in demand because everyone just wants to get outside and everybody just wants to go back to doing stuff that they used to do pre-pandemic. But there, you know, the amusement parks aren't, you can't experience that in your house now. Like you still, you can never do, you can't do stuff like that in your house, but now there are films that you can watch in your house and Netflix and all these OTT platforms are just going to start churning out more and more content. So to, in order to drive people to get out of the, the out of their homes, into the car and go to the theater, the experience has to be altered in some fundamental way to convince people to do just that. So let's like create some kind of, um, criteria then is it okay maybe for us to just change our scorecard mm-hmm. and recognize that you know the movie theater experience is just going to be different um and maybe the megaplex really is the megaplex experience is the one that's going to be hurt but the actual viewing experience is still going to be what it's going to be and it may be improved a little bit i'm going to guess you know the 40x or whatever those experiences where that almost turns the theater into a video game. Um, you know, I don't see those popping up everywhere, but possibly someone's doing something technology wise that will advance it. Right. Yep. But if I were a storyteller today, where's the best place for me to make an investment with my story? Should I be making it for an OTT platform or should I be making it for a theatrical experience? I almost feel like we, we want to pretend like the box office days, those blockbuster days that we've been, accustomed to since the 1970s, honestly, where that we keep score by the opening opening weekend is just not what's happening. Oh, here's here's an example. I just watched the premiere for, oh, it was uh, uh, comp, uh, NBC Universal is releasing a film and, which one is it? They're releasing a film and on, on um, Peacock on the same day. Oh, yeah, yeah, Boss Baby. Boss Baby. Boss Baby 2, yeah. And it's commercial said in the theater's and on Peacock the same day. And on Peacock, yeah. They, they were proud to say it's on both. Instead of 
where we separated them. Yeah. So to me, I think that that's the, maybe what we need to start becoming accustomed to is the, what that scorecard is mm. of not just blockbuster numbers. Yeah. But some other way of talking about success. Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely a way to look at it. And you know, what I've sort of told some of my clients, I did a talk for the greater Philadelphia film office last two weeks ago, week and a half ago. And it was a lot about all, you know, emerging filmmakers trying to figure out how to get their movies and get their projects out there. And I said, listen, you got it. You have to do what, what your original vision of the, of the, of the project is. If you imagine it being a theatrical experience, there's a way to make that happen. There are a lot of independent theaters out there that are looking for projects or product. You can go to them and say, Hey, I've got this film. Will you let me screen it. You know, I'll bring my friends. They'll pay $10 or whatever. Well, that's money in the bank for the, the, the small indie theater. So you're right. I think that the format of what we determine as success has to shift. And I think it's going to, and that's what you're going to see a lot of with in terms of talent deals. Well, if you decide to shift this day and date onto OTT platform, I want to make sure I'm compensated for that as well as um, what, what goes on in the theater. And, you know, we talked about this two weeks ago with some of the Disney talent, how they're feeling like, well, when I made this deal, I was under assumption this was going to be, have the Disney distribution machine behind it. It was going to be totally theatrical. And now you're doing day and date on your OTT platform what the, you know, what the, what the deuce. Yeah. Whereas universal, I think because they shifted so early in the pandemic to OTT, when they pushed trolls world tour onto PVOD, and then this was prior to the launch of Peacock. I think that was sort of like, okay, when we were negotiating with universal, we have to be under the understanding that it's probably going to go to a platform faster versus what it's traditional. So yes, the metrics of success yeah. have to shift. We have to. But it also involves, well, the OTT platforms also have to be more willing to share what that success is. Because the, the thing that makes theatrical so such a great barometer of success, it's hard to hide any of that numbers because everybody reports box office. But all the OTT platforms, as you and I had that exchange earlier this week on, on LinkedIn about the sort of secrecy behind all this, uh, the platforms and how they've trained all these stakeholders involved in the actual creation of the product that goes on the platform to just not worry about data. Just don't ask for it. Don't demand it. Even like the investors aren't demanding it. As long as it looks like it's a success, that's all they care about. Yeah. So I think that is also going to have to shift as well because that is, if that's going to become a part of this new formula of success, then there has to be more transparency in terms of what's driving sort of the viewership numbers. Yeah, I guess like to me, you know, we can go down this tangent a little bit, but it's really the, the creator then. If we don't know what the data is, the creator's not sharing in the success then. Yeah. And therefore, the filmmaker is just a commodity now. An OTT platform says, well, I paid you for it. Yeah. Therefore, give me what I paid for. And I own it and the rest is mine. And go away. <laughs> and I don't know, filmmaking as a service was is not really like at the genesis of what a lot of people, um, a lot of people's careers, like they actually got into it yeah. to have a dialogue and to create some notoriety, create some influence and sharing the success. I mean, that's, yeah. that's just it. But to kind of churn and burn th through that process, I think that's a big trend in Hollywood that, we kind of have to start addressing is, is where does the filmmaker go? Or we'll say the entrepreneurial filmmaker, filmmaker go if they want to take the winnings, because I, what I've learned is a lot of people take the winnings to make the next film. Yeah. 
like that's how you kind of build up your ability to have more and more flexibility, more and more creativity. And if we pull out that person's independence from doing it, then it, it doesn't play out. And investors that used to get backing from you, if they're not seeing data, if they're not sharing in the wins, what's the ROI for an investor? Yeah, um, exactly. I don't know. I, to me, like there's that item. The other concern I might have more in the in the theatrical space was it, it was always a place to have a dialogue, a dialogue with culture. You can you can bring up issues. Yeah, there were divisive things. There's even divisive things in in films. You know, if I watch a film from from 40 years ago, there are, there are things being said that we wouldn't culturally say today. Yeah, and that's it's an open dialogue. And to me, that you know, going into um, we'll say like what happened within the Heights and some of the mm-hmm. uh, kickback that Limon Manuel got, that to me is probably another bigger impact that I'm concerned about. Um, so can I figure out the scorecard thing? Yeah, but can we can we get back to making films? I don't know. This is kind of a cultural moment. I don't know how to navigate through. Yeah, I share your concern. Um, I think, and you know, we've talked we talked a little bit about this last week with sort of the idea of the fear that's sort of dominating some of the places in Hollywood in terms of what you can and can't talk about. And as you said, the creative process relies so much on open dialogue. And Lynn Manuel, as you mentioned, got sort of pilfered on, you know, social media, of course, because that's where all this happens usually. And he got pilfered for not, you know, having accurate representation. Um, of darker skinned um, Puerto Ricans in and Latinos in in the Heights, and it, he immediately apologized and said, "I'm learning." Blah blah blah. And you know, Rita Moreno, who is one of the these, you know, uh, you know, legendary Latino actresses, came out and said, "You don't have to apologize." And then she got attacked. So then she backed down. And then Bill Maher, God bless him, comes out and says, "Why do you guys keep apologizing? Like you don't have anything to apologize for." And this is sort of leading to this problem. And, you know, I read an article this week in New York Post by um, in the opinion pages by John Poderance, who's a um, uh, sort of a conservative uh, commentator. And he said, like, well, we have West Side Story coming out in December from Steven Spielberg. He's going to get crucified. There's just no way that that movie is going to go untouched in our current cultural moment. And it's just the lack of being able to have a dialogue or discuss it. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with criticizing Lin-Manuel. That's, you know, it's an artistic product. You can criticize it, but to criticize it to the point where you're trying to destroy him, unless he apologizes, that's where things just start to get really out of control. And, you know, with West Side Story, you've got a movie that was basically made by all white guys, right? Spielberg, Tony Kushner, um, white, the original uh, liberists, the you know, um, composer, all white, you know, so it's like, you're telling me that he's not going to get eviscerated in some way, shape or form. Um, but that's kind of the moment that we're in. Yeah. And then you think also about Winston Marshall from, I mean, I know this is a little sidebar to what we normally talk about, but this sort of encapsulates the whole uh, topic in which we're tackling Winston Marshall from Mumford and Sons complimented Andy No, who is a sort of reporter who has reported on Antifa in Portland, Oregon. He wrote an article about some of the things that have been happening there, or sorry, a book. And Winston complimented on him, you know, because, you know, there it's, it's a, it's a dangerous place out there right now. And he's sort of in the heart of it. He's been attacked. He's been physically assaulted. So they were sort of complimenting him or he was complimenting him. And 
they just went after the band to the point where he had to step away from the band because they were attacking the band members and their families. Wow. So then he's like, I got to step away. And now this week, he last week, he just announced like, I, I'm stepping away from the band completely. I mean, granted, he uh, he did a, uh, he wrote a very thoughtful piece in terms of like, listen, I cannot not be myself just to keep this job. Like, I feel like I'm some part of me is dying inside because I can't honestly say I like this. I applaud him for writing this very brave book because of, you know, all the things that are involved in putting that together. And it doesn't mean I'm like a far right supporter just because I support a book that sort of takes a look at the far left. Yeah. So, and he's like, I can't be myself. And Bari Weiss has a, um, a new podcast, by the way, I recommend everyone listening, subscribe to it. She's great. She's a former New York times columnist, also Pittsburgh girl. So I got to <laughs> um, go Steelers, but uh, she, she has a podcast with him, which I haven't listened to yet. Um, it's called common sense. And, you know, I'm sure it's great. And, you know, he really kind of dives in from the, the preview that she sent out in terms of why he really did this, but this is what, this is what's happening. Like this, we can't have a dialogue and so much of the creative process and putting together great films relies on that. Well, I almost felt like we were, we were dependent on films to create the dialogue. I mean, if you ask, like, there's so many great perspectives I've learned and considered because after a film, I walked away with something and realized, oh, I was in the wrong, or I needed to understand this more, or, or you know, maybe my my understanding was too shallow going into it. And just exposure, I need exposure somehow, right? Yeah. But th- so that filmmaker has to be able to express, you know, some sort of understanding wh- where they're coming from independently. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're just basically asking for Fast and Furious twenty two, which has <laughs> no cultural relevance to it or no dialogue to it. Yeah. And not understanding the the context that some of those conversations are taking place in, and the context is what's important. Yeah, um, exactly. And you know what we all know, and I don't think anyone's arguing is that are there are there parts of our culture we need to address and have conversations about? Yes, but they need to be conversational. Yeah, if they're only just um, in heightened arguments on 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 one side of the line and one's only one side could be correct, then we're all losing out. And I, yeah, I don't go to those films and learn that if I like, okay, well, it's not my side. I'm not going to go watch a movie about someone else's opinion. Mm-hmm. I need to be able to get there. Yeah. And I don't know how to, you know, the, the thing you brought about West Side Story, that that's an interesting one. Cause you know, obviously there's some understanding, like it's a classic and there are, Really, the reason why it's a classic is that, again, it had a perspective that when you walked away from it, you would learn something else. Yeah. I had an experience uh, a few years ago at the Ashton Shakespeare Festival where I watched the, the Music Man. And the Music Man is like a silly musical. But the the creator, the, the art director at that time, did such an amazing job telling that story that I learned something else walking away from the Music Man. And I would hope that I can pull out a classic musical and have that same dialogue, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think there is a recognition, even from the original creators, that some of what was included in the original 60s musical isn't appropriate now because there's more understanding and more cultural sensitivity around certain things. But, you know, the original librettist, uh, Arthur Lorenz, because there were two songs that sort of, you know, were heavy on the accents and broken English. And so in 2010, when he did a um, revival of West Side Story, he, he directed one at the age of 90, apparently, 
which is impressive in and of itself. He took two of the songs, um, A Boy Like That and I Feel Pretty, where it's sort of, they do speak a little bit of the broken English and, and he rewrote them so that they were more sort of up to the times. And the person he hired to rewrite them and rework Spanish into the music was Lin-Manuel Miranda. So it's like, yeah. okay, so there's a recognition that, you know, we can evolve things here and there, but, and it's like, I go back to my original point, like you can critique him for, you know, if you felt that it wasn't a proper reputation, that's fine. But why does he have to be destroyed for it? Like, yeah. it doesn't make sense. I mean, we can have these conversations and the storytelling genre, you know, going all the way back to the Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell is just part of the human experience. If you read that book, it's all through every culture, the hero's journey and just storytelling in general and how it draws us all in. But if we can't have these sort of organic conversations and dialogues that allow us to experience it together as a human family, then it's just going to start to break down. And then, you know, you're right. We're going to get Fast and Furious 99 and The Purge Part 576, because that's the only thing <laughs> that we can all sort of agree on at this point, yeah. which is a problem. It's, it's a serious problem. And when the escape, sort of the idea of the storytelling as an escape from sort of the, the day-to-day mon- d- uh, doldrums, if that becomes so controversial and just bland, then the industry is just going to start to break apart and it's just not going to be the cultural touchdown that it has been for so many years. We hold back the creative. We hold back the opportunities for those people that have a story to tell. Yes. And we miss perspectives that things that we need to learn. I mean, where would conversion take place and new understanding take place if it's not giving a chance to, um, to hear the other side and understand something deeper. So exactly. All right, we only have two minutes, so here's my two-minute question going into the 4th of July weekend. <laughs> Go. What movie are you going to watch? Um, oh, that's a good question. I'm going to try to watch The Tomorrow War, which is um, the new one on, on Amazon Prime with Chris Pratt. Um, big fan of Chris Pratt, so I'm interested to see what he does with this. Um, it's really Amazon's first foray into sort of big-budget action movie. So um, I'll be interested to see how that plays out over the long weekend. I'll be interested to see what the numbers look like, whatever numbers they end up. I'm sure it's going to be a huge hit for Amazon. (laughs) And that's what they'll tell us on Tuesday. Um, But that's the one I'm going to go for. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see because we have The Purge coming out. Um, You got Fast and Furious 9 week two. Um, Quiet Place is still doing pretty decent business and you got boss baby coming out as well. So on Peacock, as you mentioned, and on in theaters. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that all, all plays out, but I, I'm probably going to check out the tomorrow war. Cause that kind of is right in my sweet spot. So I have a feeling tomorrow war is going to be the one that my, my family is going to choose also like, cause I have teenage boys at home. So that's probably some reality. Yes. Although with, uh, with the older boys hanging out, uh, Seamus is joining us for the weekend. I, I might be able to convince him to go to fast and furious nine with me to the theaters. Um, but in reality, if I would, t- I hear it's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I, of course. That's why I want to go. Yeah, exactly. But if I was to be honest, like what I know was on 4th of July, cause there's going to be all these families together. We're watching, we're watching boss baby. Yeah. I just, I think that, the original one cracked me up, so that's the one I'm watching. It's <laughs> a great one. It, it'll get everybody to laugh. You know, who doesn't love a little yeah. baby that talks smack? I mean, come on. It's like the perfect way to spend your holiday weekend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, have a great 4th of July. Enjoy your uh, barbecue ribs and corn on the cob. You too. Same. Happy Independence Day. Stay, uh, stay cool out there in the uh, sweltering west. Yeah, well, I'll try. <laughs> 
Um, let's give thanks to Lydia behind the scenes, kind of pulling this together and Connor for all your support that you keep us going research and those great things. And Keith, of course, to you and all your friends that give us these inside scoops and help us formulate these opinions. We couldn't do it without our overall support. If you are listening and you like what you hear, please subscribe to um, our podcast, wherever you're listening to it or um, right here on YouTube. Uh, have a great holiday weekend to everyone. Later, Keith. See ya.